able to be together, and in being together, they were made stronger. Their circumstances and their culture were a little bit different, and so maybe they had the opportunity and proximity to see each other more often than we do in 21st century Western culture here in Southern Kentucky. But our elders in their great foresight are always looking for opportunities, for ways to us to bind our hearts and our lives together. And so if you want to just mark it down, we have an opportunity a month through uh, April. The men can get together this weekend as Garrett Bookout, a very fine and capable preacher, comes from the Southern Hills Congregation in Franklin, Tennessee, and is going to speak to our men. We're going to have time to grow it in our association, love, and fellowship with one another, activities throughout Friday and Saturday to do just that. The next month, the young adults and the college students are going to be able to go down to Big Reedy again, and this time for the journey retreat. We'll have uh, college students and young adults from all over the region. A great time to grow together, to get to know each other better. Coming from different places, but coming together. I understand in March is going to be the ladies' retreat, as it usually is. A chance for the ladies to do what the men are doing this month. And then an all-church opportunity in April. We'll be saying much more as time goes by about the second annual equipped workshop as it gives us an opportunity to grow in our faith, and our fellowship, to host folks from all over the place. Just yesterday heard from a couple in Gallipolis, Ohio, who say they're making it their intentions to be here. They weren't here last year. Folks will be coming that we can grow closer together with. I appreciate very much what Barrett had to say in the prayer this morning. The prayer of your preachers as they stand before you is always to make sure that what we say can have as great relevance as possible in our lives each week. It is credited as an Irish or a Celtic prayer that says, this fisherman's prayer, God be good to me because the sea is so wide and my boat is so small. You know what a precise picture of the way that we can so often feel, especially when we find ourselves overwhelmed by something that we might qualify as a storm. As Smith read to us so well a moment ago from Mark's account, an account that we find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see a time in which the disciples found themselves in a literal storm and it threatened to overwhelm them. As you read Matthew telling us about it, he says that Jesus got into the boat and the disciples followed him and while they were out on the sea, a great wind arose and the sea beat waves against the boat, but Jesus himself was asleep. And the disciples came to him and woke him and said, Save us, Lord, for we are perishing. And Jesus got up and said to them, You men of little faith, why are you afraid? And he rebuked the wind and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. And the men began to say to themselves, What kind of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 through 27. As we examine what is said here, I think so often that a text like this means more when we are going through some kind of personal trial in our lives. Or maybe collectively, as we find ourselves as a society or a world in the wake of some kind of major storm that's impacting us. We may use apocalyptic words like catastrophic and overwhelming, devastating. 
And I realize that whenever a sermon like this would ever to be preached, that there's going to be a great number of people who are encountering their own personal storms. And when I think about those storms, I understand the fact that there are some who are in the midst of a storm like I'm talking about who may still feel like they're in control. The boat is rocking, but they're still inside. And yet I know that there are other times when we go through some kind of struggle that we feel like that we've been thrown out of the boat and it's in the dark of night and we're clinging to a plank as the sea is beating against us. Now it's interesting to me that when the book of Matthew is recording this event, it's in the midst of several signs, and the signs are being done to demonstrate that Jesus is greater than the elements, that Jesus is greater than the devil, that Jesus is greater than sickness and disease, anything that might be a rival or that might be considered too great or difficult, Jesus is greater But it's also at a perspective in the book of Matthew at least where what he's trying to do through all of these signs, all the miracles, all the teaching is to show that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And so as the disciples find themselves in this literal storm, they are learning that this Jesus who they have trusted to follow is someone special, someone that they can lean on, however good or bad life seems to be. The remarkable thing about Scripture is that even though there's a context that establishes a certain point for the original readers, that there's so much application that we can benefit from. And I think that's true of our text this morning. In the time that we have this morning, I just want to make three observations from Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 through 27. Truths that can help us when storms arrive, arise rather, and we are covered with waves. The first thing I want us to notice, the truth from this text, is that following Jesus does not exempt us from storms. We see that in verse 23 and 24. Now as we look at the disciples that are mentioned in verse 23, they're following Jesus. And the reason they're following Jesus is because of what they have seen taking place already in Jesus' ministry as they follow him. They have witnessed how Jesus has healed a paralytic. Jesus has healed Peter's mother-in-law. He has cast out unclean spirits and those who are demon-possessed. And all of this has had to have factored in their decision to follow Jesus. And so do not lose sight of the fact, the significance of the truth that Jesus' disciples got in the boat with him. It was a remarkable step for them to get in the boat. Now in the context, you'll notice that there are two other individuals and they say that they want to follow Jesus, but when you get down and look at it more closely, one was full of excuses and the other was all talk. But these individuals in the boat, they had weighed out the greatness of Jesus and it had made them make the decision to get in the boat with Jesus. I suggest to you that there are a great many people who may talk about what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. And there may be some who have excuses, but it's different when we get in the boat. We have the decision whether or not we're going to get in the boat with Jesus. And when we get in the boat with Jesus and we are truly following Him, what we can have assurance is that the greatest storm of all has been taken care of, and that storm is sin. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, Peter says that Jesus called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. But I want you to observe as we begin reading this account 
that even though they got in the boat with Jesus and it was the right place to be, that the storm arose after they got in the boat and they were in it with Jesus. It's a reminder that following Jesus, being a Christian, does not exempt us from storms. Christians feel the the duress and the stress of uh, being laid off or losing their job, even if it's at a time when finances are tight and they need the money. Christians understand the devastating loss of a loved one, even if it's through violence and tragedy. Christians understand something about the the stress and trials of emotional trouble like mental illness or anxiety and depression. Because we follow Jesus does not keep us from the storms of life. In fact, anything that can happen to a person out of Christ is something that could happen to a person in Christ. Eliphaz was right in Job chapter 4 and verse 8 when he says that they that plow iniquity and they that sow trouble reap the same. There are some storms that we can avoid, but sometimes we reap trouble at times when we did not sow. We can say with the psalmist in Psalm 55 and verse 8 that I find myself in a wind and in a tempest. Or to say with Job in Job chapter 30 and verse 22, he has dissolved me in a storm. It's an important truth for us as we look back on what these disciples are encountering to understand that following Jesus does not exempt us from the presence and the reality of storms. But there's a second truth that I want us to notice this morning, and that is when storms arise, we can feel helpless and afraid. We see that in verse 24 and 25. That when the storms of life come, we're going to react to that in a certain way. I don't know if you've ever heard of Urbach wythe disease. It's a very complicated condition. And it's one of those diseases that only affected a very few people in this world. In fact, we only know of 400 cases of Urbach wythe disease. And in many of the cases, what happens is that the amygdala calcifies and the ability to feel fear is lost. NPR radio followed one such case a 44-year-old mother of three. And they only call her SR, I suppose, to protect her identity. And SR has been exposed to a variety of snake and spider encounters. She has been subjected to horror movies, the worst of the worst, and even random muggings at gunpoint. And she does not know how to feel fear. Incredible not to have that response. And if hearing that makes you think to have that condition would be frightening, then you don't have Urbach wife disease. And certainly the disciples did not have that. Because as they face the storm that's about to happen or that is happening in their lives, then they find themselves afraid. We see that the storm that they're encountering is described as great. Great to the upper extent, to the nth degree. And as they find themselves in that condition, the disciples panic. They're afraid. And it makes sense why they would, because if you look at what we saw that uh, Smith read to us in Mark chapter 4 and verse 37, the boat began to fill with water. And Luke says that the boat began to be swamped because of the conditions of the sea. Luke chapter 8 and verse 23, they were afraid and they had reason to be afraid because Luke says that they were in great danger. When we think about the fact that storms arise in our lives, they cause us to feel fear. They cause us to feel fear because so often we feel helpless 
And we feel afraid to help ourselves or those that we love who may be going through troubles and difficulties. Here are the disciples in the boat. And the Bible tells us that they're panicked because of how grave the danger is. Ever find yourself in a storm and feeling in that way? Maybe it's a storm that is beating on the bank account. Or maybe it's a storm that's beating on the emotions or on the relationships or your spirit or your spiritual strength. Storms arise and they can make us feel helpless. About ten years ago, as it turns out, I took my youngest son Carl on a mission trip to Cambodia. And we went on one Sunday afternoon during that mission trip to the largest freshwater lake in Southeast Asia, the Tonle Sap. And it was, I was so proud there. It was a, a sunny, tropical day, and Carl was preaching a devotion. There was a husband and wife missionary team that were living on the rafts out there among the people on the water, and they were providing clean water for the locals. And so we were fellowshipping with them, and Carl's preaching. And all of a sudden, the sun is replaced by clouds. And the next thing you know, there's rain that's bursting from those clouds. And we're on that raft, and the raft is tethered to a dock. And as the storm comes so violently, it begins to pull, the raft does, against that dock. And it begins to damage the raft. And soon we find ourselves tethered to just one rope. And it seems like that one's straining, and we don't know how it's going to go. And the, the, the lake begins to be swollen with the water, and the rope is pulling against the, the dock. And a lot of things went through my mind at that moment as I had my 16-year-old son with me all the way halfway across the world. But one of the things that came to my mind was Matthew chapter 8 and this particular storm. I think I could understand how seasoned fishermen in a great gale and storm would feel so afraid and to feel like this was going to overwhelm them and overtake them. We find ourselves surrounded by people every day who are swimming in fear, trying to keep their head above water, and they don't know what to do. I don't know if you've seen the statistics lately, but what we uh, are told is that there are 6.8 million people who suffer from generalized anxiety disorder. The average age of onset is 31 years old. And it's characterized by a great many things, things like irritability, hot flashes, Difficulty in going to sleep and staying asleep. Feelings of just generalized fear. And on top of that, there are another 6 million Americans who have panic disorder. Sudden and intense feelings of fear that they cannot control and anxiety. That results from everything from heart palpitations to chest pains. Even hyperventilation and numbness. There are a great many people... But we don't have to have a diagnosed condition to understand the feelings of anxiety and fear that come along with being in this world. Here are the disciples, followers of Jesus, who were not exempted from the storm. It was a storm that came even after they were in the boat. And once there, they were overwhelmed. They were feeling helpless and afraid. And if you're in a storm right now, you know exactly how that feels. It feels like all that you can do to keep going. The beautiful truth of this text that I want us to notice before we close this lesson is that Jesus is more powerful than any storm. We see that in verse 26. The disciples have seen Jesus at work, 
But they're wondering why Jesus is not seeming to help them in their hour of need. But Jesus knew that he was greater than that storm. And he wants the disciples to know that he's greater than that storm. And so Jesus reaches out and he calms the sea. Mark tells us what he says. He says to the conditions, hush, be still. Luke tells us that he overcomes the ravaging of the wind by his power. As we mentioned a moment ago, there are people all around us, people that we work with, people that we go to school with, people that we're related to who are overcome by the storms of this life. They're looking for solutions, but they're looking in other directions than in the direction of Jesus. And so Jesus would say himself in John 10 and verse 10 that the thief does not come but to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. We can find some unhealthy ways to cope and to try to deal with this. And when we're looking in a direction other than Jesus, we find ourselves eluding the source of the solution. But this is not just a problem that we have if we have not yet decided to follow Jesus. How often do we find ourselves facing our storms and failing to look to Jesus as the solution for it? Hey, I want to know, have you been through any storms in your life? How about the storm of stress and worry? Maybe stress and worry over things. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31 says, And why do you, are you concerned about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear? He says, These are the things that the Gentiles seek after, but your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. Matthew 6, 31 and 32. What about the storm of losing a loved one? I look back over 2023 and we lost some dear and near folks to us here in the Lehman Avenue congregation. And I realized that even apart from this immediate church family, members of this church family said goodbye to some of the dearest on earth to you. And I realized that we lose folks in different conditions spiritually. Some of us have lost those that we love who are members of the body of Christ and what Paul would say, inspired of God, is, I would not have you to be uninformed, brethren, concerning those who are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others who have no hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 Maybe you find yourself perpetually in the storm of temptation, and you find yourself struggling with that. Maybe you've been doing so for so long, and maybe you've forgotten the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. There is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able. But will with the temptation provide a means of escape that you may be able to bear it. What about the storm of trial and affliction? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, the Apostle Paul says that the Lord says that my grace is sufficient for my strength is made perfect in weakness. When we consider... The fact that storms are going to come into our lives. We can look to Jesus. We can only look to Jesus to help us to make our way through that. You know, Charles Spurgeon and a friend were out walking and they came across a weather vane that was on top of a barn. And the weather vane simply had three words. God is love. And the friend took offense at that. He says, this weather vane is incorrect. God's love is not so fickle and transient. And Spurgeon replied, my friend, you have misunderstood its meaning. This vein is suggesting that God is love whichever way the winds blow. When we consider the fact that storms are going to blow into our lives, 
we find ourselves with one who is greater than any storm. The greatest storm that we might ever face, and that's the death of ourselves. God is greater than that storm. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, He's delivered us from the power of death through what it is that He has done. There's no substitute for Jesus in our times of storm. When we look at the disciples' response, it's interesting that what they say is, what manner of man is this? That even the winds and the sea obey Him. What manner of man is this? This is going to be a discussion that will happen later in Jesus' ministry. Matthew records that as well. In the coast of Caesarea Philippi, Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 13, Jesus asked the disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they say, Some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah. Still others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? He says, You are the Christ, the Son of of the living God. That fact helps us to appreciate and understand that there is no storm greater than Jesus. C.S. Lewis once talked about uh, Jesus and compares him to a car. This was before EVs and so he wasn't making a political statement. He says that a car runs on petrol gas and it cannot run effectively on anything else. And he says so it is in this life. God is the one who fuels our spirit. He created the human machine. And He fuels our spirits with Himself. He feeds our soul on the food of He Himself. That's why it's impossible for anyone to anticipate happiness and satisfaction in, uh, apart from re- religion because it does not exist. It is not there. It does not exist apart from God. But Jesus says that he provides a peace that the world cannot equal. In John chapter 14 and verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I give unto you, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Back in 1989, there was a solar flare that caused a great storm. In fact, it was so great that it caused the entire uh, province of Quebec to lose their electricity in a blackout. And that same storm caused the coils to melt in a transformer station in Salem, New Jersey, and it caused the entire eastern seaboard to lose their power. More recently, there was a solar flare that broke loose in space, and it was hurtling toward Earth in a magnetic cloud. They measured it, science did, and said that it was 30 million miles in diameter, and it was moving at a million miles an hour toward Earth. When we think about storms, storms that we've endured locally, great storms that are historic, that weather people talk about for generations, every storm is an illustration of a God who is greater than all of His works. When storms are raging in our lives, we have a choice to make. We can either hold on in peace and safety, or we can let it drown us. You know, the Bible tells us some of the things that we can do in the times of our storm. We can seek help from one another. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 12, we lift up those who are weak and who are struggling. We can see the potential benefits that can come from the storms of this life. As Psalm 66 and verse 10 say, it can refine us. We can seek refuge in the shelter of God's hand. 
In Exodus 33 and verse 22, as Moses found shelter in the cleft of the rock, so we can find shelter. But in all of it, we need to be able to see the power of God at work as we're in the storm. He will deliver us in a broad place. He will give us refuge because He delights in us. Psalm chapter 18 and verse 19. When we find ourselves in storms of life and we're covered with waves, Matthew chapter 8 reminds us that following Jesus does not exempt us from storms. Jesus says, These things I've said unto you while I was with you, that you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John 16 and verse 33. It's an inevitability that we're going to have problems. But the difference for the child of God is that our problems have no permanent hold over us. However much it hurts in this life, we won't feel the pain of it in heaven No matter how long we have to carry it here, we will bury it in the grave. We can shelter ourselves in the shadow of the Almighty. We can go under the wing of our great Lord, Psalm 91, verse 1 through 4. And when the storms of life come, we may find ourselves feeling helpless and afraid. Matthew 8 reminds us, as do the other gospel writers, that there is no storm that we face more powerful than Jesus. About 10 years ago, I also visited uh, Johnstown area. I mean, maybe it was uh, back about the 10th anniversary of 9-11. It was all up in the same area. And I went up to Johnstown and I looked over that area where that flood came on May 31st, 1889. Killed 2,209 people. People died in different ways. They died from drowning. They died from being crushed by debris. They were swept away, even burned to death. But one that did not die in that uh, flood was a fellow by the name of Victor Heiser. Victor Heiser was a 16-year-old boy. And as is depicted in this display in the Johnstown Flood Museum, he climbed up into a barn as the flood was sweeping through his property. And he watched it take away the family house in which his parents were still uh, inside. And it was instantly demolished. He rode that barn down the flood stream in such a way that he barely missed houses and other barns and even freight train cars. Ultimately, he had to abandon the barn and he had to get into a a second-story brick house in which 18 other people were there. And they watched sadly as others not as fortunate as themselves did not survive that flood. I mentioned Victor Heiser because after he survived that flood, he went on to become a, a medical doctor. And it is estimated that Victor Heiser, in his adult practice, because he developed the first effective remedy and treatment against leprosy, saved approximately 2 million lives. Victor Heiser not only survived, he helped others to survive. I don't know what the storm is that you may be enduring right now, but God not only wants you to survive, He wants you to survive to rescue other people. But he wants us to begin with ourselves. If you're in that storm, a storm caused by unforgiven sin, Nick's going to get up and lead us in a song. We generally call it a song of invitation, a song of encouragement, a response that we can have to the God's Word and to the circumstances of our life if we find ourselves outside of God's place of safety to respond to His great grace. By believing that Jesus is the Son of God, repenting and being baptized.
to have our sins washed away, to have the greatest problem of our life resolved. But if you're a child of God who is overwhelmed by the storms of this life, if it's brought on by sin, perhaps repentance is what is necessary. If it's a public thing, maybe you need to handle that publicly. Or maybe as you find yourself overwhelmed, you've tried everything that you know to do, and yet you feel like you're drowning. God has given us each other, as we've said in Hebrews 12 and verse 12, to help one another through the storms of life. It will be our honor to be able to pray with you and for you. There's something that you're struggling with that we can help. God can help and wants to. This is your invitation. We would urge you to come right now as we stand and sing.